Hello and welcome to Bear Books Podcast. I'm April Berry. And I'm Daisy Ray. And this episode we have my absolute favourite flash fiction. <laughs> yeah, we've got three stories for you this week. I think I'm turning into John Barrowman. I think you are. Anyway, back to the stories. Tell us what they are. No, speaking of John Barrowman, he just popped up Don't on this it. series. No, it wasn't. It was it was an se- American series called Scandal. Okay. I like him. I think he's good. I've been to see him. So have I. It's fun. Yes, he injects a lot of humour into... Anyway, we're not here to talk about John Barryman, even though I did digress. We're here to talk about flash fiction, and I believe that we've got your dulcet tones for, to read the first story, Daisy. Yes, we have three amazing stories for you today. We have the first one, which is called Dead Ringer for Love by Emily George. Then April will be reading her very own Olivia, and I will round off our trio of stories with mine called with friends like these. That sounds intriguing. So, over to you then, Daisy, with Dead Ringer for Love. Teddy and Freddie Frost were brothers, identical twins who were fiercely loyal to one another, although they had chosen very different paths in life. Teddy was a pimp and drug dealer, wealthy and generous with his money, but always just one step ahead of having his collar felt. Freddie was a lay preacher, poor as the traditional church mouse, tending to a small flock of believers who congregated twice a week in the back room of a nearby nail and beauty bar. The brothers had never grown out of the childish habit of playing pranks on people by each pretending to be the other. Teddy had once preached a sermon on the evils of drugs to Freddie's followers and even brought tears to the eyes of a few of the faithful. And once when one of Teddy's girls had been roughed up by a punter, it was Freddie who tracked the man down and meted out a brutal punishment. In quite a few ways, deep down, they were as identical as the symmetry of their handsome faces. They lived in a modest but well-equipped house. Teddy didn't believe in drawing police attention to himself by flashing lots of cash, along with Alicia, Teddy's wife. Alicia adored both of the brothers, turning a blind eye to both her brother's business deals and the shenanigans they occasionally got up to, seeing as it was just the boys letting off steam. Exactly how it started, neither Freddie nor Alicia was able to say. An accidental touch of their hands, a chaste kiss on the cheek that somehow landed on Alicia's lips. Then Alicia contrived to be leaving the bathroom, her naked body wrapped loosely in a towel, as Freddie was leaving his bedroom. When Freddie made a move, openly embracing Alicia when Teddy wasn't about, she'd always push him away, professing to love her husband too much to be unfaithful to him, while enjoying the thrill of the chase. Alicia knew on which side her bread was buttered. One evening, when Teddy had imbibed well rather wisely, Alicia left him snoring on the sofa, said goodnight to Freddie and went to bed. As he watched Alicia's jean-clad bottom disappearing up the stairs, Freddie felt a stirring in his loins, which he tried to ignore by dropping to the floor and doing 50 push-ups. It was no good. The urge to follow his brother's wife was too strong and eventually he crept lightly upstairs, entering the bedroom where Alicia was snoring softly. Swiftly dropping his clothes on the floor, Freddy slid into the bed, circling one arm around Alicia's waist. Freddy, she murmured sleepily. 
Mm, he grunted as he lost himself in the joy of finally making love to Alicia. As they both relaxed in the aftermath, Freddie leaned up on one elbow, looking into her eyes. You know it's me, don't you? She winked. Better if I just call you Teddy. After that, the cheating pair got together for about a furtive lovemaking when they could, neither one openly acknowledging their betrayal of Teddy. It might have gone on forever if they hadn't got careless. One night, having plagued Teddy with drink until his eyelids fluttered and he fell asleep in front of the television, they tiptoed out of the room. Unfortunately, shortly after they left, Teddy's phone shrilled and jerked him out of his boozy sleep. One of his girls was on the line, gasping through hysterical tears. She'd been pushed out of a moving car and needed help. Stay where you are, he muttered. I've had a skin for, but don't worry, Freddie will take care of you. He heaved himself to his feet, swaying a little as he registered that he was alone in the room. He groaned, holding his head against the alcohol-induced headache. Now he'd have to climb the stairs and get Freddie out of bed. Clinging to the banister, he made his unsteady way upstairs, crashing into Freddie's door as he missed the handle. He barely had time to see that the bed was unslept in before the screaming started. The words were indistinguishable, but the noise was coming from his own bedroom. Instantly alert to danger, his muddled mind cleared and he pounded along the landing, skidding to a halt at the sight that met his eyes. Naked as the day he was born, Freddie straddled a similarly unclothed Alicia, trying to press a hand over her mouth to stop her screaming. With a primeval roar, Teddy sprang across the room, aiming a punch at Freddy's head. It missed, but connected with his brother's shoulder, knocking him off the bed. Anger lending strength to his legs, Teddy vaulted the bed, narrowly missing a cowering Alicia who was pulling a sheet over her nakedness. His fist raised to pummel the brother who had betrayed him and stopped. Freddy's eyes were wide open, but they'd never see anything again. A pool of blood was spreading beneath his head, which rested against the corner of a marble fireplace. No! Teddy raised his head and howled, even as he reached out to gather his brother into his arms, cradling the man who had been an integral part of his life ever since they'd been born. Minutes passed before he remembered to check on his wife. Looking at her, he said, What happened? Alicia shook her head, eyes wide, cheeks streaked with tears. I don't know. I was asleep and he must have known well you were downstairs. I was half awake, thought it was you, and then a noise down the corridor shocked me awake and I saw... She shuddered and covered her face, bursting into noisy sobs, thanking her lucky stars that she'd been quick-witted enough to start screaming as soon as she heard Teddy crashing into Freddy's door. She peeked through her fingers at Freddy's face and could swear there was a slight smile on his face. She felt bad about betraying him, but at least he'd died happy. I enjoyed that. I like a little bit of, I don't know, intrigue, naughtiness, sex, deceit. I'm not surprised in the slightest you are proper dodgy. <laughs> oh, that's not fair. <laughs> I like the con I like the concept of twins though. My dad was a twin, but I don't think he ever got up to anything like that. Well, I hope not. Skipped a generation, did it? <laughs> Ooh. I don't think you're being fair there. 
thought Teddy and Freddie were amazing. They were, yeah. Utterly handsome. Polar opposites, but not really. No, not at all. It's funny, isn't it? Strange how nature does have a sharing bond there. Really, they were as dodgy as each other, weren't they? Yeah, of course they were. I don't care if one of them did preach on Sundays. Yeah, the back of a nail bar, really. (laughs) Yeah, it was fun. I liked it. We've got a story coming up now about another family. Are they as um, deceitful as Freddie and Teddy? Dodgy as. Yeah, dodgy as. It's called Olivia. At the heart of the community, Haveridge stood the Fletcher family, pillars of trust for generations, the community's largest employer. Samuel Fletcher, the town's respected mayor, was known for his wisdom and fairness, and his son Ethan embodied the hope for continuity. A young man with ambition and charm, yet beneath the facade of familial unity, there was a dark underbelly, not visible even to Ethan. The sun was setting and dusk covered the town as Ethan approached the council officers. He had received an anonymous tip about a meeting that potentially could expose corruption within the town council, a revelation that could shatter the trust built over decades by the Fletcher family, and if true, could damage the foundations of the town. Little did he know this leak originated closer to home than he thought. His childhood friend, and thought Ethan, his closest confidant, Olivia, someone who he had shared stolen kisses and secrets with, was the author. Unbeknownst to him, Olivia harboured resentment for being overshadowed by the Fletcher name. Fueled by envy and a thirst for power, she had become entangled in a dangerous web of deceit. As Ethan entered the council chambers, the air was heavy with anticipation. He looked over to the group of councillors huddled in the corner, their backs to the middle of the room. Amongst them, Olivia, who stood with a cold determination, her eyes betraying the bond she had shared with Ethan in their youth. This shocked Ethan to the core. The behind-closed-doors meeting revealed a plan to manipulate the upcoming mayoral election, ensuring the Fletchers maintained control and Ethan's father was re-elected mayor. Ethan, torn between loyalty to his family and the town, grappled with an internal storm. He decided to confront his father, believing that the truth would set them free. Back in the study of the Fletcher abode, father and son faced each other across the desk. Samuel's eyes, usually filled with warmth, now held a steely resolve. Ethan, some things are best left undiscovered. Trust me, it's for the good of Haveridge, Samuel said, his voice carrying an unfamiliar edge. Ethan, fueled by a sense of justice, refused to accept the corruption within the family. He turned his back on his father and sought evidence to expose the corruption, enlisting the assistance of Olivia. However, little did he know that Olivia was playing a dangerous game. As Ethan delved deeper into the corruption, he discovered computer files detailing illicit transactions and backroom deals with construction companies and manufacturers, bribes to council officials amounting to millions of pounds. The more he looked, the more obvious it became that his father had and was willing again to buy his way into the position of mayor. The evidence was damning and Ethan felt a sense of duty to bring it to light. Every step he took, he was supported by Olivia, which gave Ethan the strength to expose his father even more. 
The night before Ethan planned to expose the truth, Olivia met Ethan in the local pub. There she revealed what she had done. The blood drained from Ethan's face as he was confronted by the deception of the person who he had trusted the most throughout his life. You were always the golden child, Ethan, while I lived in your shadows. I needed power and your downfall is my ticket. You are merely a pawn in my game, Olivia confessed, a sinister smile playing on her lips. She continued, I have already turned over the files to the police. After a little editing, they make enlightening reading. Ethan, betrayed by both his father and his lifelong friend, he felt the weight of the world crashing down. The revelation of Olivia's deceit shattered the remnants of their childhood friendship, leaving behind only the echoes of broken trust. The next day, as Ethan had prepared to expose the corruption with his, within his own family, he found himself framed for embezzlement, and the evidence, meticulously altered by Olivia, painted him as the mastermind behind the very conspiracy and corruption he had sought to dismantle. The town turned against him, unable to reconcile the accusations with the Fletcher name they had looked up to for generations. In the court of public opinion, Ethan became a pariah, his attempts to unveil the truth dismissed as desperate lies, and in the courts of justice, he was branded a criminal. More family sagas. What inspired Olivia then? I don't know. I think I watched too much dodgy telly, if I'm honest. <laughs> Nicely read, though. I did enjoy it. It's amazing where our imaginations take us, isn't it? It is. Absolutely. I mean, if you think over the seasons and the flash fiction that we've written, we've actually covered some dark um, subjects, if I'm honest. Yeah. That's the beauty, though, about being a, an author, putting words down on paper, because you can write on paper what you would never, ever do in real life. Yeah, I kind of do like that. So sometimes, like, if you really don't like somebody and you really would like to do them harm in your inner recesses of your dog mind, then you can, on paper at least. Yeah, write it down up and send it to us, barebookspod1 at gmail.com, and we'll read it out on air for you. Oh, yes, please. We'd like that. <laughs> okay, third and final story then, with friends like these. Lisa and Jenny had been inseparable since they were kids in junior school together. They shared everything, including their secrets and dreams. They helped each other through the bad times, boyfriend troubles, parents that didn't understand them, and eventually even managing to get jobs together at the same company. They had it all, or so they thought, until the corporate world cast a shadow over their unbreakable bond. In the bustling offices where ambition ruled, the seeds of betrayal took root. This story begins in that workplace where an enticing promotion hung in the air like ripe fruit just before the rot sets in. It whispered to Jenny, like that apple in the Garden of Eden whispered to Eve, and Jenny was hungry for it. So hungry she thought nothing of stepping on Lisa on her way to the top. As rumours swirled and alliances shifted like sand, Lisa felt the ground beneath her work life eroding. She didn't understand what was happening and tried to talk to Jenny as she always had. She was the one person Lisa always had in her corner after all, wasn't she? But the betrayal quietly continued behind closed doors and masked smiles. 
Jenny manipulated colleagues with gossip dressed up as concern, tarnishing Lisa's reputation to secure the promotion for herself. Lisa had no clue the person she trusted the most in the world was orchestrating her downfall. The inevitable day came when the whispers eventually reached Lisa's ears and she stumbled upon the truth. She was shocked to hear of her own apparent drink problems and narcotics. What the hell? The weight of betrayal bore down on her. So she did what she always did in times of trouble. She turned to her best friend, the one person she considered family. The one thing Jenny could not handle was confrontation. And as Lisa sat in front of her talking about her troubles, Jenny's eyes were a dead giveaway. And Lisa couldn't help but see the lie trying to hide behind her friend's eyes. Shock and devastation collided, leaving Lisa struggling with the harsh reality that her lifelong friend had been the architect of a demise at work. Jenny, also the architect of her own downfall, attempted to justify her actions with cold pragmatism, dismissing Lisa's hurt as mere collateral damage in the pursuit of success. Lisa really shouldn't be taking it personally. Unable to reconcile the growing void between loyalty, friendship and ambition, Lisa made a heart-wrenching decision. She decided to try severing professional ties with Jenny, realising that the toxic air of betrayal would poison even their lifelong friendship. As resignation papers were signed and farewells exchanged, Lisa walked away from the job she once loved. The city lights faded in Lisa's rearview mirror as she drove towards her new future far away from Jenny and far from the whispers of betrayal that haunted her. But the wound ran deep and lingered, a constant reminder of her fractured friendship. Meanwhile, back at home, Jenny regarded Lisa's departure with a growing cold detachment. She didn't understand the emotional turmoil that gripped her once best friend, dismissing it as a weakness. In Jenny's world, ambition eclipsed all, and she just didn't get the gravity of the wounds she'd inflicted. Months passed, and the rift between Lisa and Jenny widened, fueled by resentment and unspoken grievances. Jenny, oblivious to the toll her actions took on Lisa's soul, believed that time would heal the wounds eventually and life would go on. But life just doesn't work that way. Then in a chance encounter at a local coffee shop, fate thrust the two former friends back into each other's lives. Lisa, now settled in her new life, exuded a quiet strength that spoke of resilience and growth. On the other side of the table, Jenny remained unchanged. Her ambition undiminished, but her heart hardened. Tension crackled between them, almost visible to those passing by. The air grew thicker with unspoken words and Lisa, burdened by the past, struggled to find closure. In a moment of raw emotion, the facade crumbled and Lisa's rage erupted. A resounding slap echoed through the coffee shop, a visceral expression of the pain and anger that had simmered within Lisa for so long. With an audible gasp and regret flashing in her eyes, she recoiled, mortified at her own actions. She knew in her heart it couldn't mend anything, but her instinct for some kind of closure, even if it was the wrong kind, had worn out at that moment. The onlookers in the coffee shop stared in shock, the scene unfolding before them an uncomfortable reminder of the fragility of friendship. Jenny, stung by the unexpected blow, recoiled in disbelief, 
The gravity of Lisa's anguish hit her with a force she hadn't anticipated. As the shock subsided, a flicker of remorse crossed Jenny's face as the first crack in her calloused exterior. The reality of the pain she caused began to seep through her thin armour of ambition. No words were spoken in the aftermath. Both women now at a crossroads, their lifelong friendship hanging in the balance. Lisa, grappling with the consequences of her own outburst, yearned for resolution. Jenny, forced to confront the human cost of her ambition, faced a reckoning of her own. Uncertainty lay before them. A future fraught with apologies, forgiveness and the arduous journey of rebuilding trust. A stark reminder that even lifelong bonds can shatter under the weight of betrayal. I bet that goes on in more circles than what you actually imagine. What, friends betraying one another to get above? Yeah. Yeah, I I think it does. There must be loads and loads of people in workplaces that are friends with people that actually would trample on the head to get a a better job. (laughs) That I don't doubt for a second, because even though we don't know these people, we work with them eight hours a day and we probably spend more time with work colleagues than we do with actual friends, to be honest. I mean, don't we call like people at work, work wives, work husbands and so forth? Yes, yeah. But to betray someone you've been friends with since you were kids together, nasty. It's sad, that. Yeah. I think she lived to regret it, though. Mm. Anyway, let's not be miserable. No, we're not miserable on this podcast at <laughs> it all. It may make up at some point in the future if Lisa eventually forgives her. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? So we've, we're back to the book reviews then next week, and we are, we are. reviewing a book from an author that we've had on the podcast before, Richard John Thornton, and he has he's put out quite a few books just recently, and we picked one of them. It's not his newest because he has had one out since this one, but we are reviewing the last of the old school in our next episode. My choice, this one again, so I picked a good one with Ivan and Isla Vulnerable. So let's see what my uh, choosing mechanism is like with this one. Picked it because I have read in the past quite a few books by an author called Jack Shepard, and they are about a headmaster. And it kind of was a bit nostalgic when I saw this, and I thought, oh, wonder if it's like or in the same vein of those by Jack Shepard. We shall see. You'll find out next week what I thought. We will see, yes. I have read almost all of it now. And the main character, honestly, I'll go into it in detail next week, but I don't know whether I want to trip him up so his face hits a brick wall or if I feel sorry for him. I'm just the former. (laughs) Yeah, he is a little bit archaic, isn't he? To be honest, reading it took me back to the 1960s when I was at school, which is really strange because this book is set in the 80s. It is. It's, yeah, this is more my era than yours, I think. What are you trying to say, that I'm a lot older than you? Massively. Anyway. Decades. We, we shall see. Listen, tune in to the next episode. Tune in. See, you were. You did go to school oh, right in the 60s. Then. Okay. <laughs> to that dial and find us next Wednesday. All right, all right. <laughs> okay. Until next week, take care of each other and we'll see you there.
Yes, yeah, see you next week. Bye. Thank you for joining us. Now you've had a listen, why not pop over and join us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And if you want to send in your flash fiction submissions, you just need to email us at beerbookspod1 at gmail.com. And now that you're part of the Beer Books family, why not share us with all the bookworms and creatives in your life? <laughs>